Freedom Hut. Attorney General Barr says the lockdowns are an enormous threat to civil liberty. CDC director says that masks may be more effective than a vaccine. Minneapolis has a crime problem and Big Ten football's back. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Great to have you here, as always. Thank you so much for joining. An honor and a privilege as we bear down on this election and things are just going to keep heating up. I've got to say, I'm already I'm, I'm ready for the fight. I'm like a, I'm like a guy that can't wait to run out of the tunnel, do a backflip on the field and start dunking and throwing touchdowns and all those fun things. Right. I, I want to get into this battle. I want to get in this fight. And let's start right now. With what the attorney general, as you know, I think probably the most uh, competent, most effective member of the Trump cabinet. And he gave a speech last night that's got the liberals all upset. He hit on some key issues. But let me break down just a couple of them for you, because this this really matters. This goes to the philosophy right now, the underlying philosophical contest, debate, fight between the right and the left as it pertains to the deep state and the weaponization of prosecutors' offices and the increase of tyranny that we've gone through this year. There there is a tyrannical impulse on display in this era of COVID. There's no question about that. That's what's happening right now. That's what's really going on. And the attorney general finally said, enough is enough. Now, let me start with his view of these lockdown measures now keep in mind keep in mind that we just had a federal judge tell the governor of pennsylvania tom wolf no you can't just keep doing this you can't extend indefinitely think of the power we've given governors think of the power we have allowed state level officials to have it's as though we have we have no constitutional protection we don't even have administrative or process protections just the stroke of a pen. Yeah, I'm the governor, and I say you got to stay home. You have to stay in your domicile. You have to shelter in place. We usually accept these things in extremes like a hurricane, or and we know it's going to pass pretty quickly, and it's limited duration. What we've seen is lockdown has turned into an extension of emergency measures to make them quasi-permanent. What the heck is this? Limitations on how many people can gather together? What are those based on? Well, whatever the governor thinks or his moron health advisors. New York, Pennsylvania, California, they're all coming up with this. Look, even Texas was putting restrictions in place that I was saying, what the heck are they doing? Give me liberty or give me death very quickly. Turn into give me a promise of safety and a face mask right away. Friends. It's time to take back our liberty. This was wrong. What's happened here was wrong. It did not even make us safer, which is always the problem with this bargain that the government inflicts on us. They pretend it's a bargain. It's really a prescription. But it's do we go along with it willingly? And in this instance, unfortunately, the answer was yes, we did. We said, sure, a slight reduction in COVID-19, a slight reduction 
in the infections, maybe theoretically from all these measures. Remember, I'm not talking about a reduction for a week or two. I'm looking at the the totality of cases. The measures were meant the only way they got us to agree to this was to tell us that it was about hospital capacity. So we can't have too many cases all at once, guys. And then they just somehow seamlessly transition into, well, we're just going to stop this disease by ruining businesses and taking away your freedom. We're going to stop the disease. It's not possible. And everyone who had looked at this problem set before of a pandemic had said a lockdown like this probably won't work and it'll be catastrophically costly. Sixty percent of businesses that have closed are now permanent closures, according to Yelp data. Sixty percent. We, we don't even really know what the long term consequences of this gonna, are going to be. And it's as though we've, we've put a bandage over the wound and no one's really seen how bad is the bleeding? Well, until we remove the bandage, we're not even going to know. I asked the attorney general when he was on the show, I, I tried to get to, sir, are we going to see any legal effort to to remedy this? Why isn't the Department of Justice suing states? But I understand why they would say, oh, well, now the now the federal government is using the legal process. This is what the left, the Democrats would say, using the legal process uh, to advance Trump's reelection prospects at the advance of killing uh, at the uh, expense of killing grandma. And that would be the whole argument. That's everything that they would say. And unfortunately, politically, that's a very powerful argument because we have a lot of fearful, stupid people who believe whatever the mainstream media tell them to this day, which is remarkable, remarkable. Even when you look at NBC and ABC News, this warmed over liberal crap, millions and millions of people, you know, more people watch that than any any show on Fox News. As monster as the uh, Fox News ratings have been recently, enormous ratings. The Tucker show has got um, got four million people a night watching that show on some nights. It's amazing how many people actually want the truth. <laughs> Isn't that a fascinating when they have that option? They do turn to that. But there are a lot of people that want to be told what they've been told in the past. A lot of people watch those other channels. And they don't understand what's really happening in this country as a result of it. The attorney general certainly understands where was the justification for all of this? I see people saying, oh, Buck, what about seatbelt laws? Are, are, now we're going to play this game? We're, we're going to pretend that shutting down entire industries on a whim, that making restrictions on businesses that are destroying their ability to operate, that telling people that they have no freedom of movement or association, that that's like telling somebody to wear a seatbelt? You know, I think you actually could probably make a case about seatbelt laws and how they shouldn't be federal in any way. But that's not the point. The point here is that, yes, you know, we're a reasonable people. And if we're told, hey, guys, there's a huge hurricane coming in. We're going to need everybody to get out of this one area for a day or two. Most people, not everybody, most people will go along with that, assuming they can go back to their homes afterwards. But imagine if we had a hurricane coming. And I, by the way, thoughts and prayers go down to people along the, the Gulf Coast. I know they've been hit very hard. But imagine if there was a, a nationwide hurricane coming across the country. And they said, OK, everyone, you just need to shelter in place for for two days. And then they said, well, no, it's going to be more like 20, actually going to be more like three months. Make it six. Make it not. There's a difference there, isn't there? We can all see it. We all understand. And that's exactly what has happened here. And you need to be aware of this. The people that push for these lockdowns, the people that push these policies dishonestly, that kept changing their mind on what the science says. 
Oh, the science changes month to month, apparently. That's how important the science is to these lockdowners. They will never admit they were wrong. They will never admit that this was a catastrophic mistake. They'll never admit that masks didn't do anything. Now, maybe masks did something. Fine. Maybe they reduced transmission 5%. Who knows? I don't know. But they don't know either. And they act like they can change their mind and we're not supposed to ask any questions. I mean, like a bunch of sheep. People just go along with this. The CDC director, we're going to get into this in in a little bit. He's saying stuff in direct contradiction to what he was saying months ago and looks at you like if you don't just go along with what he says now, there's something wrong with you. Here in New York, we're being told, get ready for a second lockdown this winter, and it's going to be even worse because there's going to be flu. You know what I think is going to happen? You're going to have a lot of people that think they have flu, that then say they have COVID, and you're going to have panic spreading because it's rather think they have COVID. They really have the flu, and there's going to be all kinds of problems within the data sets, and everyone's going to go. There is no rational explanation for what has gone on in places like New York that have been so so hard hit by this virus and now have effectively almost no COVID other than we basically let this thing burn through the whole city. And then after the city had been burned by this virus, we turned around and said, oh, well, now let's make sure that we have uh, no one allowed to use any fire. No one, no one allowed to use any electrical appliances. It's already burned through. So, so you get the downside without any of the upside. You think they'll ever admit that? You think the scientific community is ever going to say, yeah, you were right. Look at them on Russia collusion. Look at the legal community and how many people that are esteemed professors at Harvard Law or go on various cable news channels to opine about the law who still talk about Russia collusion like it happened. These people are are lunatics. You think they're ever going to say, yeah, you know, we cost millions and millions of people their jobs, their livelihoods, bankrupted them, took away their freedom, put them under tremendous psychological duress you know, exacerbated their alcoholism or exacerbated their drug abuse problems by separating them from their families, told people they couldn't even say goodbye to loved ones except via Skype if they were lucky because of our policies for the lockdown. You think they're ever going to turn around and say, whoopsies, that was all a mistake. No. So just be clear on this right now. They will. It doesn't matter what the numbers actually say. They will never admit this. The same way that the people that believe California is on, you know, the state of California is on fire because of climate change now, because it's so terrible now. Pretend like we don't remember what they said 20 years ago and how we would already be in a place where climate change was supposed to catastrophically hit us now in ways that it hasn't. They just it doesn't matter. They're never going to admit they were wrong. So don't ever expect that day of recognition to come. But at least we can speak the truth here. At least we can know the truth about what has happened to this country. And that there was no political will to stop it. Nobody was willing to say, what are we doing here? Now, the president told me in May, he said no second lockdown, and he kept his word. There was no federal lockdown. We have Biden running around saying we need a national mask mandate. And the president left it to the states, which under the circumstances was the right thing to do. But what have the states done with this? What makes them think they have this right? Cuomo and Newsom and uh, and, you know, Whitmer and these governors lecture the American people about how 
It's our fault if things are still bad because we didn't do enough of what they told us and the things they've been telling us to do, making us do, are idiotic. BLM protests are great. That's fantastic. You want to hang out with your friends in a group of more than 10 people outdoors in the middle of summer? Ooh. Friends, they were sending police in California after lone paddle boarders in the friggin' ocean. You think that's about health? It's amazing how quickly we forgot what we believed our, our, our ideological heritage as a nation was all about, individual liberty and freedom. It's amazing how we just so quickly abandoned it. And I'm glad that now there are some voices, including the Attorney General, who are speaking out saying, this is unacceptable. This is wrong. This even goes beyond just the Trump election, although I do think that's a critical part of restoring our, our liberties. I don't think the president's been perfect on COVID. Of course not. Mistakes have been made. I know he's better than what the Democrats would have done. A lot better. And I know that if you put Democrats in charge, they're going to act like there's a COVID pandemic so that they can use that crisis when they're in power, even if there aren't the numbers to justify it at all, which there aren't now in a lot of places in the country already. They're going to use that to their advantage. They're going to they're going to continue and even if necessary manufacture elements of the covid crisis into 2021 for their own purposes to exaggerate it to pretend it's worse than it is so that they can have look at all this power power that we've allowed the state to have that we should wrest from them with every ounce of our being we should pull it from their grubby little fingers you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast Putting a national lockdown, stay-at-home orders is like house arrest. It's not, it's, the, it's, you know, other than slavery, which was a different kind of restraint, this is the greatest intrusion on civil liberties in American history. The man is speaking the truth here. You could argue about the internment of the Japanese during World War II, and I think that if he thought about that, he might say, okay, fine, it's the third greatest intrusion of civil liberties in our history, but it's right up there. And this affects far more people, while admittedly less specifically individually agreed, is it affects far more people across the nation than the internment of Japanese. Although, of course, the Japanese Americans, that was uh, that was also uh, racist. But this is a catastrophic, a catastrophic blow to our individual liberties. And where have been the voices against this? You know, I, I even started to have people reaching out to me saying, Buck, you're talking about this lockdown thing too much. There's other things. No, this is the most important thing. This has been this year the most important thing because they can't protect you. They're not they're not saving your life. So put that aside and look at the numbers. You, you think the government's doing a great job of saving lives? They can't do it. The virus is going to virus. There's, there's nothing they can do to stop the virus from spreading within the population to a level at which the virus won't spread anymore because there will be herd immunity. Which some of us have been saying from the beginning, we're, we're doing a herd immunity strategy. We're just calling it a million other things and changing every month. We're just running around with our hair on fire, desperate to say it's something else. But it's not. But it's just simply not. Where were people calling this out? I remember in those early weeks, oh my gosh, the blue check libs. You just want you just want people's grandparents to die. You just don't care about the elderly. Bring just for bringing up the 
lack of evidence that lockdowns would even be effective and the certainty, the certainty that they would be economically devastating and devastating to our liberties. What is ask yourself this question, and it's one that I've posed before on this show. What are the outer limits of the ability now that a a government official uh, or a government official who is elected has when it comes to declaring an emergency and curtailing your rights? You you think that what are those limits? I don't know. Is there a time duration? Is there is there even a need for legislation? No, a governor could declare tomorrow a climate emergency in California and say no one can use any electricity with some exceptions. I'm sure they'd make right. No one can can use any water in their homes right now. Only bottled water. And, you know, everybody has to start changing the way that they you know go about their day to day lives until we say the climate emergency is over. Oh, and unless you're an essential worker, you have to stay home. We're, we're not going to make everybody tele, you know, telework. Why is there no authority? You, you might say, Buck, that's crazy. And it is. But they have the authority to do that now. My friends, if the government has the authority because it says so to tell you to stay in your home on pain of arrest or fine to tell you you cannot gather with other human beings that you cannot engage in otherwise lawful activity, that you have to shut down your business and suffer the economic consequences, that you have bills that you must pay while being unable to make the income necessary for paying them because of government mandate. What do you think they can't do? And, and mind you, over 99% of the people that are making do that are zero risk to public health, do not have the disease, are not spreading it to anybody. Where, where are the limits to their power and authority? Friends, there, there isn't a limit. Lock down in your homes if they want to for years. And some of them are even talking about extending this deep into next year. So let's not just pretend it's theoretical. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do you know there's something wrong here with the narrative about COVID, about the lockdowns, about what it's done to our liberties. What's the what's the first obvious sign? What's the first evidence you could point to? You're not allowed to ask questions. That's always the, the mark of a tyrant, the mark of somebody who wants to take away your freedom. The first thing you'll often encounter is that you're not allowed to ask questions, right? When, when you're in a meeting in, in the office and and if at the end of it, they just say no questions, <laughs> they walk out. Uh, if they've made a major announcement of some kind, usually that's that's letting you know this is the way it's going to be. So uh, shut your mouth and do what you're told. Right. No questions. Not allowed to ask any questions. Or if you already know that if you were to pose a question, it would be at your professional peril. Then, you know, you got a problem. Our government has been making all kinds of claims, and it's mostly at the state level. And also the permanent bureaucracy of the CDC and the NIH. And they've been making all kinds of claims for which any reasonable person, reasonable person would have questions. I, I ask these things publicly. I bring these up and I, I get hatred from people. I, people have been for, for months writing. And I'm not whining. I don't care. They're losers. But I just mean, think of the mentality. I'm merely asking for answers that any normal person 
who had not been brainwashed with fear and loathing of Trump, right? It's always the one-two punch. Be scared, COVID's going to get you, and oh my gosh, it's all Trump's fault, right? They terrify the population, and then they mobilize that terror against the sitting president. That's the whole game. That's what it's been all year. That's what they're doing. But I, I do have some, some questions that, that I want answers to. As I sit here, technically under, I am, I am doing this show, and I am still technically under mandatory state order to stay in my home. I am not allowed to go outside, according to state law, unless it's for a medical need. I mean, I, you know, other countries, they did this thing, maybe one person per household can go get food per day or something. You know, the little the little libs just all go along with this. Whatever we're told, whatever the government says must be good. We're responsible. OK, well, let's talk about what the government has been telling us. This was yesterday. The CDC director Redfield. Who. I, I mean, this this is just. Mind blowing that this guy says this, but he, but he does. You need to hear this is what he told. The United States Senate yesterday about masks versus vaccines. Play one. I'm not going to comment directly about the president, but I am going to comment as the CDC director that uh, uh, face masks, these face masks are the most important, powerful public health tool we have. And I will continue to appeal for all Americans, all individuals in our country, to embrace these face coverings. I've said it. If we did it for 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks, we'd bring this pandemic uh, under control. These actually, we have clear scientific evidence. They work and they are our best defense. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine because the immunogenicity may be 70%. And if I don't get an immune response, the vaccine is not going to protect me. This face mask will. So I do want to keep asking the American public to take the responsibility, particularly the 18 to 25-year-olds where we're seeing the outbreak in America continue to go like this because we haven't got the acceptance, the personal responsibility that we need for all Americans to embrace this face mask. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine, he said. Wow. You realize that the vaccines will have gone through many months of thousands and thousands of individuals who are being monitored the whole way uh, to test for safety and efficacy. And have we done any experiment like that with masks that you're aware of? That, that, that is there, I just want to see, where's the data? Okay, but before, before I get into my problems with even that statement, I'm not, a, I'm not a medical doctor, as we all know, and I don't have a background in, in biology, biochemistry, or science. But then again, neither do any of these libs making all these decisions, really. Uh, I mean, at the political level. That was what the CDC director said yesterday. Here is the same CDC director in his own words. Six months ago, play three. Should you wear a mask if you're healthy? No. That was six months ago. I just I want them to identify for me. Where the massive leap in scientific knowledge occurred what are they using as the data to show that six months ago 
something as straightforward as should you wear a mask if you're healthy? The answer was a definitive no from the same CDC chief who now is telling you, I actually think masks may be a better protection for you than even a vaccine is. What? Now, okay, that's an that's that's as clear a contradiction as you're going to find. Right. And this is supposed to be about science. This is not politics where people are always just changing their predictions and making it up as they go along. Why is that? Where is this evidence? Where, where is the basis for this change? I, and I, I ask that question honestly. Every study that I have seen on the Internet so far, and I don't mean that people are making up on the Internet. I mean, that's published for people to read that is from a peer reviewed journal, whether it's in The Lancet, one of the most esteemed medical journals in the world or different uh, different European you know, health and virology and uh, institutes coming forward with their own actual testing, actual data on this. Everything that I've seen says that it might work a tiny bit, but it probably does almost nothing. Now, I may be missing something and I I am always I want to learn more and I I want to be right. I want to know the truth always. That is the central promise of what I do here every day. I want to know what's true. But you see, we have a problem, friends, because there are a whole lot of people who don't want to know what's true because of the stakes involved with all of this. You have two major competing forces against truth about the lockdown, truth about this policy that has been inflicted on us. That's effectively stolen a year of our lives from everybody in this country in one way or another or one way or another. You have the the election and the need to blame everything on Trump. But you also have, for many people, the equally powerful need to avoid accountability from within the federal bureaucracy for pushing disastrous policies that have been terrible for the American people and, and ineffective. Right? It's one thing if you at least get something for your pain. It's not clear at all we've gotten anything for our pain. Some of us have been warning from the beginning about this. Some of us were raising the alarm asking we were drowned out. We were shouted, shouted down. Oh, you're not a scientist. Yeah, but the scientists change their mind every the quote scientists change their mind about every two weeks. So what am I supposed I'm supposed to think that now it's like science ex cathedra uh, pronouncements. Now it's inviolate. You you can't even wonder if uh, maybe there's something else going on here. It's truly it's truly astonishing, friends. I, I don't know what else it's going to take other than I think that we have reached a point now where the American people in their own way. And, you know, if they feel they feel ready to, to take whatever consequences come, uh, you're, you're looking at a, at a need to just refuse. You're looking at a need for there to be uh, mass noncompliance, intentional noncompliance for businesses, for people that are saying, oh, OK. And uh, by the way, I'm not saying, you know, go cough on people in a nursing home and be a lunatic. But when you're talking about specific policies, no, I'm not going to put a mask on to walk from a restaurant table to a bathroom when I've been sitting indoors in a restaurant for an hour and a half breathing and because it makes people feel better that there's something being done. That's dumb. And these are mandates. These are required by law. I, I've, I've got to tell you, it's uh, 
it's been a fail. It's been a failing of uh, conservatives uh, up to this point. We, we've lost the covid narrative battle. We've lost it. It doesn't mean that we can't push back now and, and hopefully turn this around. But we uh, the, the left was able with their larger and more numerous megaphones to drown out the voices of reason in this and to even get Republicans to submit and comply and go along with it. And for what? So you can now have the CDC director act like, what do you mean you don't realize masks are the greatest thing ever? No, it's not just masks. It's all this stuff, the masks and the remember all the all the stuff about just wash your hands. And that was the, the we were told at one point that was the most the most important tool in fighting this. And then we were told the most important tool was social distancing. And then we were told the most important tool was face masks. And all the while, people are watching their bank accounts go to zero. Their businesses get destroyed and boarded up. Their mental health deteriorate. Their physical health deteriorate. Millions and millions of them. But government employees, bureaucrats, the rich, the, uh, the elites, the people who can telework with no problem for them, it just turned into a big, you know, hang out in your pajamas, watch Netflix, Eat your mac and cheese and, you know, express your contempt for anybody that has a problem with having their business shut down. Oh, they don't care enough about people. This is a very dark chapter in this nation's history, and it's still being written right now. And if we lose this election, they're going to do this again in 2021. Because they love the power and control. The party that does not, at its core, want more than anything else to just constantly be dictating everything to you about every aspect of life. The party that that doesn't want to do that is has been in power. And this is what we've gone through this year. Can you imagine what happens if the executive branch goes into the hands of Biden and the lunatics around him that are making the marionette dance to the prescribed tune? I'm just these are part of the stakes that we face now. I was thinking that they're going to open the country after Biden wins. Oh, no, friends. No, no, no. We haven't paid a high enough price, according to the libs, not for COVID, for our election of Donald Trump in 2016. No, they, they have to they have to purge our sins even more through continued control, manipulation, usurpation of our rights in the name of keeping us safe, in the name of you being responsible and considerate of your fellow americans that's what they're going to tell you i think it was a month ago that i wear a mask to protect you is what they were saying right and now the cdc director today just switched it well you know masks are great protection for you i'm sorry which is it it just changes why are you asking questions don't ask questions not allowed you see friends it's long past time to say enough is enough here that means that there are going to be consequences for fighting back. Tyrants don't give, pack, uh, tyrants don't give back power uh, willingly. It has to be taken. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So what's Joe Biden going to do if the American people make the very foolhardy mistake of putting him in power to deal with all of this? Well... Here's what he says we can expect in just the next couple of months. Play 14. He still won't accept any responsibility. He still won't offer a plan. And last night, he repeated what he said so many times before, that even if he continues to offer only failing indifference, someday 
the virus is going to go away by a miracle. Even if he does nothing, it's going to go away by a miracle. It won't go away like a miracle. In fact, even if it get, even to get a vaccine, will not be available for most of the population until well into the 2021. You know, so we're heading into a, a very dangerous autumn. The fact that the University of Washington model, which the White House has previously touted, projects that cases and deaths are going to spike this November and an additional by 215,000 Americans, they say, are going to die. Begin the spike in November, but by the first of the year, 215,000 will be dead additional. That's more than already died. We need leadership right now to prevent that from happening. Here is this complete imbecile telling the American people, vote for me or 200,000 more people. And it wasn't, it was 215,000 because, you know, the IHME models have been so accurate. The, the IHME models are laughably wrong, laughably wrong and have been all along. But, and he says, oh, the president touted. Yeah, they touted them until they saw that they were all wrong. 215,000 Americans, he says, will die unless you vote for him. Is it possible to think of more bald-faced, reckless demagoguery than this? Put me in power or a couple of hundred thousand of you will die. More will die. And does any intelligent person really believe that? What is what is Joe Biden going to do to stop this virus? But I, I tell you, this is this is a, a big it's a shift in my thinking now. I had thought that we would be allowed our lives back starting November 4th if Biden wins, because that's an easy way to all of a sudden get the economy up and running. And oh, it's a brighter day. No, 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 no. You're going to have to earn it. The libs are going to make you earn it, America. They're not done telling you how many jumping jacks to do. They're not done telling you when you're allowed to stop your run or stop the burpees or stop whatever. Oh, no, they've got a lot more instruction for you going forward. There's going to be instruction for your health during the covid pandemic. That involves climate, that involves gun control, that involves you name it, right? Massive expansions of government in the in the healthcare system, right? Taking Obamacare and by executive fiat, piecing it all, piecing more of it back together and, and building an even larger mess within the healthcare system. They, they've got all kinds of plans. They're not just going to let us go back to normal life. They don't want that. They don't trust. They don't think that people should be making their own decisions. That's central to the ethos of the Democrat Party. Right. They have like a, a communist Politburo mentality. They really do. Well, we'll put all the really good, smart people in charge. We'll crush the individualistic types who want to get ahead and have their own lives and make their own choices. And then we'll give enough to the rest of the of the masses that they'll keep us in power. There we go. That's going to be the plan with COVID. They're going to leverage the crisis even more. They're not going to let this crisis go to waste, right? Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's continue this. What, what would the Democrats do if, uh, if Biden wins? And let's say they keep the House and the Senate. Let's say the Senate stays in Republican hands just for our wargaming purposes what would they do well you'd see a lot of rules by executive fiat and this is why it's so damning it's so dangerous that we've allowed the 
COVID, uh, the, the COVID response to be just whatever any executive authority in government decides it wants to do at the state level, at least they can do. Man, they tell you, tell you that, you know, five people in a bar is OK, but five people in a bar, but 10 at a, you know, uh, at a store, some stores open, other stores close, some businesses essential, others not. I mean, just making whatever determinations they want with real consequences for people. This isn't due process. Look at all the, the left wing judges, Obama appointees, almost all of them who will use the Administrative Procedures Act to shut down some Trump executive order about something he's completely within his rights to do. Where's the administrative procedure for a governor that's one day saying schools are open, the next day schools are all closed? Or they're going to be half open and half closed? Or, or your business is going to... Mean, what? I know everyone's scared. Everyone's scared, so we don't want to do anything about it. You know, life is scary. There's always fear. There's always risk. I thought we were a country that really understood that. I've been very disappointed in this. What would Biden do? Well, he says there's going to be a national mask mandate. Play 13. A question whether I can mandate over state lines that every single state has to comply. Our legal team thinks I can do that based upon the degree to which there's a crisis in those states and how bad things are for the country. And if we don't do it, what happens? But I would make the case. I'd make the case why it's necessary. I'd have the scientists to raid to lay out in detail why. And I would go to every governor, and I'd go to governors relating to Republican and Democratic governors, and I'd say, we have to have this national mandate. We must do it. A national mandate. Federalized mask policy. I mean, th- this is this should be setting off alarm bells in everyone's head. What? So the government now can make a mandate that they say is necessary for health. That's completely unproven for. I mean, if they can do this. They can fe- they can mandate people have to take, uh, you know, m- mandate people have to take SSRIs so they don't get too depressed. Mandate people can have to take whatever whatever vaccines they want you to take. Never mind. Just like a few that are long, uh, long tested and proven. Um, they you know, what, what can they not do in the name of public health? They can lock you in your home, stick a needle in your arm, take away your property and tell you that you can't breathe normally. Oh. Oh, yeah, sure. We're the uh, we're the live free or die country. Sure, we are. I think we've all woken up from that. That look, it's a self delusion. That's certainly not the case. Our legal team thinks based on what? Oh, the the Commerce Clause. I know people will say this. Right, because libs think that the Commerce Clause means whatever they want it to mean. Joe Biden was, in fact, part of the Violence Against Women Act, which initially was saying, well, we're going to make violence against women a federal crime because of its effect on commerce. Violence against women is horrible and it's illegal in all 50 states, but it's not a commerce issue. I mean, if that's a commerce issue, anything, but that's what they do. They say everything is whenever they want to do something. It's a commerce issue. This is the continuing constitutional distortion we have because of the Wicker v. Filburn decision. Oh, you can't just grow wheat for your own usage, even if it doesn't cross state lines, because if you're not buying it, then it's a You know, if you're not buying it from other people, then it's affecting the commerce between states. So there you go. Even you're not being in the market as you being in the market. Right. That's what they were. That's where that came from. So one of the worst Supreme Court decisions in terms of its uh, lasting effects of all time. It's not quite Roe v. Wade, but it's uh, 
And, you know, it's not quite Dred Scott, but it's it's a really bad Supreme Court decision. Uh, now we have Biden saying that he thinks his legal team thinks they can mandate this. And we're at the end. We're at the end of the pandemic. That's what the other thing is. So now we're going to have a mask mandate for how long? Who determines how many cases is acceptable? No, I know, friends, I could sit here and just be like, Trump is awesome. Let's look at polls. Yeah, he's going to win. I know there are a lot of shows that are doing that every day. This really matters. This discussion, which has been forestalled, this debate, which a lot of people, even on the right, have been unwilling to really engage in because people all they they, they get so upset when someone says they're anti-science. All the people that call me anti-science, I know more and I'm smarter than. So I don't really care. It doesn't bother me. I don't sit there go, oh, they think I'm anti-science. But I guess I'm lucky in that regard. Uh, If we impose universal masking, what will be the upside? Talk about magic thinking here. Here's here's what Biden says. 215,000 people. I mean, he's really he's got all the numbers for you. 250,000 people will die if you don't elect Biden. If you do elect Biden, here's what he claims will happen. Play 12. The same university model shows the University of Washington model shows that if if there's universal masking, these deaths could be projected. deaths could be cut in half. We could say between now and the end of the year, 100,000 lives. Let's assume they're off by half on all of this. 50,000 lives, 150,000 dead. Donald Trump's own director of CDC told us that wearing a mask is the single most important step we can take to curb this virus. So let's let's just unpack this for a second. He's saying, well, let's say we're off and it's 50,000 lives. I mean, they're off by a lot more than that. There are 50,000 lives. So you're going to have a universal mask mandate to save 50,000 lives. That's that's the claim. Right. How many people die every year from influenza? 30 to 70,000, about that, something like that, 20 to 70,000 depends on the year. So we're going to wear masks every year now, right? We're going to wear masks forever. This is the standard that they've created. And I know people shout, it's not the flu. And they say this. That's not what morons say, because they're missing the point. No one's saying it's the flu. We're saying the principle is you can enforce these arbitrary and stifling inconveniences on human beings at at will because if it saves just one life is now our health policy. Well, that's going to extend to a whole lot. That's going to extend to you know red meat. That's going to extend to climate change. That's going to extend to a whole lot of things. And if you think the libs won't do it, you haven't been paying attention in the last 20 years. Right. Ten years ago, it was no one saying that a 12 year old boy who says he's a girl is going to be in the locker room with your 12 year old girls at school. That's crazy. And then about four or five years ago was, what do you mean you don't think that a, a, a girl who was born male shouldn't be allowed at the age of 12 or 13 to undress? I mean, they just keep, they just keep rolling. We keep getting rolled on all this stuff. Well, you guys aren't going to do this thing, right? We're, we'll, we'll concede this ground, but you won't do this next thing, will you? Oh, no, they will. They will. They keep doing it. Right? The only thing that stops them from doing exactly what they want is when we win is when our side steps in and says, no, we're in power now. We're not going to let you do at least that thing you want to do. Which is why the election is, in in fact, so important right now. (sighs) Hundred thousand lives saved. Yeah, you're going to have. And even if it was 50, as you said, you're going to have to wear a mask now for the rest of your life outdoors as long as Democrats insanity is in charge. And I guess we've been losing tens of thousands of lives every year because we weren't willing to make this very easy, straightforward step. This is all emotion, friends. Their argument doesn't make any sense. 
unless they think that you should wear a mask all the time. You know, and then then we do get into the wire. Isn't they remember? These are the arguments we were having at the very beginning. And then there's the the panic porn from the media overwhelmed. Every, all the rational voices, the arguments we had in the beginning. OK, you could save tens of thousands of lives a year by making the speed limit 15 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, tens of guaranteed tens of thousands of lives. But people say, no, I'm going to take my chances and, and go 65 or 70 or 80. Nah, sorry. Not going to do that. This is really the this is the fundamental question we face right now. Is the government allowed to tell you what to do? In ways that are only justified if you think that every little action of yours is somehow in the government's purview. Uh, This this is we all have to confront this now. This is where we are as a country. This is what we have been led to here. And yes, it has happened on President Trump's watch and he is a Republican and this is a. Very challenging set of circumstances, and I know that he has been just completely uh, boxed in by advisors and and, uh, you know, people around him who are supposed to know more about this. But it's time for the it's time for the backlash against the lockdown, friends. The big one right now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, somehow lost in all of this is who is most responsible at a state level for the worst outcomes. As I've said to you, the uh, highest approval rating governors for dealing with covid are somehow in the states that have had the worst record when it comes to deaths per capita dealing with covid. This is purely media manipulation. This is pure propaganda. That's the only reason. There's no other way. Right. If, if people are running a race and they're supposed to get to the finish line first and the people who get to the finish line last are given the gold medal, you'd say, what the heck is that all about? That's what's happening here with Governor Murphy in New Jersey, Governor Cuomo in New York, right? Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania. These people did a terrible job, but we're being told, oh, they did a great. They did a great job or at least. That's what their own populations have been led to believe, which is truly uh, you know, stunning. And, and it's honestly upsetting that people could be that wrong on all this stuff. But that's where we are. Uh, the president points this out. Obviously, it upsets liberals. Play 18. If you look at what we've done and all of the lives that we've saved, and I'm going to ask that a graph be put up and now it's up. Uh, this was right at the beginning. This was our prediction that if we do a really good job, we'll be at about 100,000 to 240,000 deaths, and we're below that substantially, and we'll see where it comes out. But that would be if we did the good job. If the not-so-good job was done, you'd be between 1.5 million. I remember these numbers so well, and 2.2 million, uh, that's quite a difference. So we're down in this territory. And that's despite the fact that the blue states had had tremendous death rates. If you take the blue states out, we're uh, at, at a level that uh, I don't think anybody in the world would be at. We're really at a very low level. But it's true. If you take New York even out of the equation, it pretty dramatically drops down those COVID numbers. If New York had Texas or Florida numbers, you would see 20 or 30,000 people or 20,000 people, I should say, alive. If New York just did as well as Florida, 20,000 lives saved. Just a straight per capita head-to-head comparison. But 
Cuomo's out there lecturing people and, and blaming Trump all the time. And then you have the, the usual apparatus of media morons. Um, Steve Schmidt, he's, he's the captain of Team Media Moron. He really is. Here he is telling you that, that Trump is the worst ever because of this. Play 17. This is a catastrophe that was completely, totally preventable. And if anything, Bob Woodward is underplaying his description of it. It is a catastrophic leadership failure. But more than that, there's no equivalent in the country's history to it. It is the greatest malfeasance in the history of the United States. You realize that this moron just went on TV there and said that it was the greatest catastrophe and was, he said, totally, entirely preventable. Why didn't Germany, Italy, Spain, the UK, Brazil, Mexico, India, China? I mean, why didn't they prevent it? If it's entirely preventable, is it possible to say anything dumber than this guy says on, on television? You know, but he, he plays a role, really. That's what you see. He's almost like an actor. He just find, his job is to go on TV and be like, I used to be a Republican, and now I just say Trump is the worst ever at everything, ever. And there are moron libs who sit at home who are like, yeah, this is good. Yeah, this works. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh, and then there was the big uh, kerfuffle yesterday about how the CDC director is saying that we might not get vaccine to people until the third quarter of next year. How, how does that make any sense? I mean, here's what the president's telling people about what's really going on from the top of the government. He's seeing all the information. He's seeing all the data. Play 19. We're on track to deliver and distribute the vaccine uh, in a very, very safe and effective manner. Uh, we think we can start sometime in October. Uh, so as soon as it uh, is announced, we'll be able to start. That'll be from mid-October on, uh, maybe a little bit later than that. But uh, we'll be all set. So as soon as it's given the go-ahead, uh, they're doing trials, as you know. And as soon as it's given the go-ahead, we will uh, get it out, defeat the virus. We've manufactured all of the necessary supplies so that as soon as the FDA approves the vaccine, and uh, as you know, we're very close to that, we'll be able to distribute at least 100 million vaccine doses by the end of 2020 and a large number much sooner than that. Not everybody's going to have to get this vaccine and not everyone's going to get this vaccine. But once you have the vulnerable population inoculated, people with pre-existing conditions or, or you know, com- comorbid conditions, you have the elderly and those with uh, with hypertension and obesity, along with being over the age of, of 65. Uh, once a large portion of that population is inoculated and therefore is pretty much safe from this, we're going to we're going to be fine. Right. Then this thing, people are acting like this never this never goes away. Why? Why are we even entertaining that as a notion? Of, of course, this is going to go away. Ah, but but you see. Panic, fear, anger, emotions. These are things that Democrats are very good at manipulating. And these are the things that they need to manipulate if they're going to defeat Donald Trump in this election. So that's what they're going to do. And this is why you're hearing uh, very clearly from the very top of the Democrat apparatus 
that, you know, you can't really here. Here we actually have we have Biden saying it. Play five. So let me be clear. I trust vaccines. I trust scientists, but I don't trust Donald Trump. And at this moment, the American people can't either. Can't trust the president on this. Can't trust him. Which means you can't trust the FDA. So in the same breath, you'll have Biden say, listen to what the CDC director says, but don't listen to what the FDA says. Hmm. Now, keep in mind, the CDC director has to do some CYA for the CDC here because they said, don't wear masks. Now they're saying wear masks. And ultimately, they view this as why not make people take the extra precaution? No one, you know, no, no one's going to be able to really hold you all that responsible for taking the extra precaution. With the FDA, if people are taking this vaccine and it doesn't work and or people are getting sick from it, they're going to know that's a big problem. But Biden is happy to dabble in anti-vax conspiracy here. Now, and I put aside whether you think this vaccine is rushed or not just for a second. The only reason Biden is pretending that he has concerns is because it's bad for Trump if the American people are safe from this virus. That's the only reason. It's not about actual vaccine stuff. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm calling on Biden to stop promoting his anti-vaccine theories because all they're doing is hurting the importance of what we're doing. And I know that if they were in this position, they'd be saying how wonderful it is. Uh, they're recklessly endangering lives. You can't do that. And uh, again, this is really a case that they're only talking just started talking a little bit negatively. And that's only because they know we have it uh, or we will soon have it. And the answer to that is very soon. It's true. I'm seeing people on the right confuse. And I want to be I want to be very clear about this. Confuse asking questions about whether a condensed vaccine schedule poses actual risks and thinking that that is what is motivating questions from Biden and the Democrats right now. They, they, they don't care. They, they haven't seen the data. They don't know anything about this. They're already saying can't trust it. Can't trust it. And it's not because they have a problem with vaccines. It's because or, or, or any particular vaccine. It's because they don't want people to think that we're getting through this and we're going to be better and that Trump managed to get a vaccine done in record time. I remember I, I was on the Bill Maher show in February, right before the pandemic, like it was right before the pandemic really hit. You know, I went to the I remember going to the um, going to the airport and, you know, the airport was pretty much empty. But people were realizing, oh, we're about to get we're about to get hit really you know, pretty hard with this thing. And I said I, they said that he lied about how we're going to get a vaccine quickly. And I said, well, they are thinking that they're going to be able to get one faster. And all oh, the audience is all laughing. And of course, what I said was true. And there are a bunch, you know, that audience is full of idiots. But it is true that this is a, a record pace for getting a brand new vaccination from testing to trial to market. And uh, they don't want the president to receive any benefit for that either. But I, I do think just and I want to I want to switch the law and order issue, but I, I want everyone to be clear on this because I've had this shift in thinking. No, it, they're, they're, the pandemic doesn't end November 4th. They're going to they're going to stretch this thing out and use it as long as they can. And they're going to use this thing. They, they like 
that people are scared and will do what they're told right now. They're not going to let this go. You're going to have, you know, 100 cases of COVID in a state in eight months, and they're going to say, oh, 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 we got to, you know, we got to institute some changes right away. I mean, it's just, it's madness. They don't care about the jobs that are lost. Small business owners, they don't care about small, just use Amazon. Just use Amazon and pay your taxes. So we got a lot of, uh, you know, civil service uh, bureaucrats sitting at home doing nothing. You know, sorry, America, you're not allowed to have your own American dream anymore. We're not allowed to have your small business work for a company that you started or work for a small family company that you've been a valued employee of for years and years. You know, nope, you better work for a big national chain with massive cash reserves and political influence or sit at home and collect whatever unemployment check the Democrats decide you're worthy of. Those are your options. That's what they want you to know. All right. On the law and order issue. This is one of my. One of my, oh, my gosh, moments yesterday. Uh, There's a story about Minneapolis. and You're not going to believe this. It turns out that the Minneapolis City Council, remember Minneapolis where George Floyd happened, the riots and the, and they were defunding police and they had people who were uh, supposed to be like anti-violence, not cops, you know, some kind of anti-violence specialists or something like that. And now that now the uh, Minnesota, uh, Minnesota City Council is worried about rising crime rates. Oh, my gosh. Wait a second. Hold the phone, everybody. You mean that when you throw your police force under the bus and when you work toward defunding them, your city becomes more dangerous, more violent. You have more problems. <gasps> that's that's crazy. Of course, it's entirely predictable. And th- there's there's really nothing you can say about this other than the, the people that are now um, expressing any kind of surprise at the Minnesota City Council or in the Minnesota City Council about this, are honest, or Minneapolis, I should say, are honestly so either so dumb or so dishonest that their opinions about anything really can't matter very much. Um, they're alarmed by the crime surge after defunding police. That's the headline of the New York Post. Wait, but I thought all I thought we were going to envision a world without cops. I thought we were going to create a society where we don't even need police. Remember the autonomous zones and all this other lunacy out there. This is lunacy. It's all coming from the Democrat Party, all unhinged, all untethered from what really works in the real world. It's totally absurd. So you have the Minneapolis City Council members who just two months ago moved to eliminate the police department, according to the New York Post here, sounded the alarm this week about a surge in crime seen by their constituents. Council members pressed police chief Medaria Arredondo about the uptick in crimes, including daylight carjackings. Oh, that sounds pretty horrible. Robberies, assault shootings and street racing. Residents are asking, where are the police? Said council member Jamal Osman, noting that constituents calls to Minneapolis police departments have gone unanswered. That is the only public safety option they have at the moment. And they're saying they're nowhere to be seen. Council President Lisa Bender accused police of intentionally not enforcing laws. This is not new, but it's very concerning in the current context. 
No, it turns out if you cut police budgets and there aren't enough of them and they aren't allowed to do their jobs because of systemic racism, everybody suffers. Black people suffer. White people suffer. Asian people suffer. Latino people suffer. Everyone, when the police are cut down from what they need to be and are even as importantly, not allowed to do their jobs uh, because sometimes wrestling a criminal to the ground can involve force that does not look pretty on video. And sometimes people try to stab cops or go for a gun or go for something in their waistband and they need to get shot. That is also a reality of the world we live in. That's that's it. That's justice. There's no way around this. But the libs thought they could figure something out. They figured that uh, there's some way they could get around having cops. They could get around all of this. And uh, they were they were wrong. (laughs) So now we're seeing it. Now we're seeing what ends up happening when you decide that your big problem is really the police. The president still calling on on everyone to or everyone on the Democrat side to stop this nonsense. Play 22. The anti police crusade from the Democrats and the radical left and radical left Democrats also has to stop. The left wing war on cops puts our officers in danger and our communities at very grave risk. (sighs) Yeah, that's. That's the truth. Libs can pretend they can scream about justice and the protests and it's mostly peaceful and systemic racism. They've run an experiment that is so stupid and so reckless that soon nobody will be able to make a case with a straight face who has a above two digit IQ that defunding cops was anything other than emotionally based lunacy. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. There's another big component of law and order that we should uh, talk about today. And that has to do with the weaponization of prosecutors and the deep state and the bureaucracy for political ends. This is the whole Russia collusion nonsense. The appointment of the special counsel that never should have happened. It was a clear partisan hit job. Everybody knows it. Everyone could see it, yet it was not stopped. A big failing of Jeff Sessions, among others. And Bill Barr spoke more about this. Let let me first just say, the same way that the people that push for lockdowns will never admit that they were catastrophically wrong, costly, stupid, and counterproductive. The same people that will uh, never. It it doesn't matter what study you show, that they they can't. Could you imagine? They, they won't subject themselves to that, that rage. But those same individuals, uh, I'm sorry, in the same way that those individuals will never admit that they were wrong, the deep staters, they're never going to say, I'm sorry. They're never going to say, maybe I shouldn't have tried to undo the results of an election. No, quite the opposite. They, they think they deserve bigger book advances. They think that they're heroes of the republic. How else are they going to sleep at night, right? So they totally believe this BS. And a perfect example of this is Peter Strzok. He of the insurance policy in case Trump won investigating 
President Trump, the guy who sat down and completely just like a slimy, unctuous, disgusting swamp creature that he is, uh, set up General Flynn, right? Struck. Oh, went along with that whole thing. Here, this guy's fingerprints are all over the worst deep state stuff. Him and Comey and McCabe, all over all the worst stuff with the Russia collusion nonsense. They throw Brennan in there. You've really got a, a row of idiots. But here he is telling everybody that he thinks he's one of the good guys, of course. Play two. 25 years from now, how does history see you? I think it sees all of us as patriots who are working as hard as we could to defend America against a Russian threat, against a Russian attack on our elections that helped elect the 45th president of the United States. Patriots defending against the Russians picking Donald Trump. I voted for Donald Trump. Is that because the Russians made me do it? What really is the claim here? But they're never going to stop. In some ways, the other than the uh, assault on our liberties, the, the speech that Attorney General Barr gave last night uh, at I think it was at Hillsdale was very powerful on how prosecutors not only are politicized now weaponized in ways that should be deeply troubling to all of us. And it's always in favor of the Democrats. I can sit here and rattle off the top of my head a whole bunch of politically motivated prosecutions that Democrats did, that Democrats pushed for, uh, I don't have that on the right. Now, people would say, if they really tried hard, they'd say, well, what about the, the special counsel investigation of Bill Clinton? It's like, well, Bill Clinton was breaking the law. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, Bill Clinton was somebody who ended up um, completely disgracing any notion of the president of the United States acting with legal decency. I'm not even just talking about being a, a good guy. Um, and he did break the law. So there's that. There's that component of it, too. Uh, but you look at what the philosophy has become of a bureaucracy that exists without oversight. Where did that all of a sudden come into the picture? You keep hearing, you know, career line prosecutors or career civil servants in the DOJ, nonpartisan. This is the same bullcrap game they play with journalists. Nonpartisan journalists say, therefore, it must be true. Career people in journalism. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. What matters is their conduct. What matters is their mindset, their philosophy, the way that they approach all this stuff. That's what actually matters. That's what the real issue is. And the attorney general had some great lines in all this. Here, here's from his speech last night. Indeed, aside from the importance of not fully decoupling law enforcement from the constraining and moderating forces of politics, devolving all authority down to the most junior officials does not even make sense as a matter of basic management. Name one successful organization where the lowest level employees decisions are deemed sacrosanct. There aren't any letting the most junior members set the agenda might be a good philosophy for a Montessori preschool, but it's no way to run a federal agency. Good leaders at the justice department at any organization need to trust and support their subordinates, but that does not mean blindly deferring to whatever those subordinates want to do. You hear this in the media, they'll say, oh, but people in the DOJ, you know, that work for Barr don't like his decision. Tough. They work for him. 
It's not the other way around. This is what people seem to forget. But, you know, the the department or the agency is held as being more important than the person at the top charged with making sure that it functions well, who is a political appointee for a reason. It's part of the separation of powers and accountability processes that we have built into the system. This is a feature, not a bug, friends. It's supposed to be like this. Say, oh, but he intervened in a prosecution. Uh, The attorney general, if he sees injustice being done by the Justice Department, has every right, in fact, has a mandate to intervene. He goes on, though, to say that this, there's there's really a mentality of the DOJ of stretching the law beyond comprehension in bad faith to crush people, particularly Republicans who are political opponents of the deep state Democrat left. That's what's happening. That is what is occurring across the country. He goes on, quote, all the supervision in the world will not be enough without a strong culture across the Justice Department of fairness and commitment to even handed justice. That is what Justice Jackson described as the spirit of fair play and decency that should animate the federal prosecutor. In his memorable turn of phrase, even when the government technically loses its case, it has really won if justice has been done. We want our prosecutors to be aggressive and tenacious in their pursuit of justice, but we also want to ensure that justice is ultimately administered dispassionately. We are all human. Like any person, a prosecutor can become overly invested in a particular goal. Prosecutors who devote months or years of their lives to investigate a particular target may become deeply invested in their case and assured of the rightness of their cause. When a prosecution becomes your prosecution, particularly if the investigation is highly public or has been acrimonious, or if you're confident early on the target committed serious crimes, there is always a temptation to will a prosecution into existence even when the facts, the law, or the fair-handed administration of justice do not support bringing charges. You're darn, darn right. Anybody having a little Mueller probe tingle right there? Anybody starting to feel like, wait a second, why is General Flynn still facing a prosecution again? From a judge, after prosecutors decided there should be no case at all? This is what the Attorney General is talking about. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our buddy David Harsanyi from National Review back in the mix. He joins us now to talk about the uh, peace deals and also some deep state action. We got our man David uh, joining us. David, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I want I want to start with the uh, the change that people should have now in their thinking about consensus foreign policy and how any time there's an issue of foreign policy where all the smart people are just supposed to think a certain thing, people should have their concerns. Here is John Kerry, Obama's second secretary of state in the most drippingly condescending and arrogant tone possible telling everybody i mean there's no peace deals with israel in the middle east that don't go right through the palestinian authority play four there will be no separate peace between israel and the arab world i want to make that very clear to all of you i've heard several prominent politicians in israel sometimes saying well, the Arab world's in a different place now. We just have to reach out to them and we can work some things with the Arab world. And 
we'll deal with the Palestinians. No, 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 and no. I can tell you that reaffirmed even in the last week as I have talked to leaders of the Arab community. There will be no advance and separate peace with the Arab world without the Palestinian process and Palestinian peace. Everybody needs to understand that. That is a hard reality. There is no way, David, that John Kerry, then the sec- you know the uh, the most recent Democrat Secretary of State, says. I mean, as everyone's been pointing out, this aged about as well as you know raw hamburger meat left in the trunk of a car in Dallas in July. But uh, what say you? Well, I think you said it very well there. Um, but we have to remember that this is just one of the comments John Kerry has made. Dozens of similar. You know, uh, you know, very confident um, comments about how the Middle East would never have peace if there wasn't first a Palestinian state, if Israel didn't first capitulate to Hamas and the PLO. That uh, he he said that Israel would be isolated economically if they didn't, uh, you know, first make a deal with the PLO. Meanwhile, of course, Israel is 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 one of the top investment destinations there is there are in that region, and now they're going to have these relationships with very. Uh, wealthy Arab nations. He's completely wrong. And of course, he's just echoing the consensus. I love that in that clip, the, you know, behind him, it says Brookings Institute, where, you know, tons of minds have, have been wrong for dozens of years. And uh, we keep listening to them. I mean, we're, we're expected to listen to them. We have them in government. We have them on MSNBC and CNN, you know, confidently explaining to us what's going on there. They've been wrong in every way. I, I noted this in a column this week, but Jared Kushner has been has done more in four years for peace than everyone at Brookings has done in 100 years for peace. And that's just a fact. There's no way around it anymore. And anyone who argues that uh, that the prism of all foreign policy should be conducted through the Palestinian Authority in the Middle East uh, is no longer a, it's just not a credible person anymore. And, and I think of uh, Thomas Friedman, for example, who for me, has just always been a creation of the liberal media. I mean, here's a guy who was such a huge proponent of how, I mean, Palestinian, it it, it became trendy when I was, you know, in college and in high school to think of the the most important challenge in the world was finding a way to make the Palestinians happy enough that they would stop threatening to destroy Israel. That, That was it, right? There was no other policy challenge as important as getting the, the Palestinians and Hamas and the PLO, as you point out, the Palestinian Authority, the PA, to, fi- to finally say we're going to stop destroying Israel. And nothing else was worth even discussing in the region. This, this was a, an ossified consensus for years and years. And it's just it's such a reminder. The people that say this stuff and write these articles, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. No, I, I and I don't listen. I, I'm not some big brain or anything like that. But I, I mean, it was clear from the early 90s on that this was not going to work. It never works. The Palestinian Authority is just incapable of making a deal with Israel that is that is something that's acceptable to both sides. They want a right of return, which is suicidal for Israel. They want to go back to the 67 lines, which are, is not suicidal for Israel. They want to create a little mini terror state next door, which is not going to happen. So what, why this is so historic, I think, is that they've circumvented that whole uh, discussion. Within the, uh, within the agreement that these nations made the other day, it mentions nothing about a Palestinian state. It mentions nothing about a right of return and the usual things that uh, are always part of these agreements. And more than that, the Arab League itself would not even condemn the deal in any way. 
So the Palestinians who basically had veto power over the foreign policy in the region no longer have that. And that that is what's super important, you know, for, for Obama and for the Kerry types. Everything's about Iran. Everything is about making a deal with Iran. You know, I saw Jeffrey Goldberg, who's been as wrong as anyone on the Middle East, say, um, look at this. Israel's just making deals for with authoritarians. And this is just about all about uh, that, as if Palestinians and Iranians aren't authoritarians. And he's been, you know, pining for a deal with them. You have to deal with certain people, and they're not the best people, but I'd rather have bad people who are on my side than bad people who aren't, and, uh, you know, dealing with them. So I think I think it's a really historic deal. I'm not sure people fully fully comprehend that who haven't been around a long time, unfortunately. Right, and the, the, other, the other talking point which I thought was, was, was pretty amazing is, well, Israel's gotten a deal now with two countries it's never been at war with. Uh, these are countries that pretend that Israel doesn't exist, that won't allow an Israeli passport to fly through. I mean, like, there's enormous animosity and restrictions that had existed between these countries previously. But, you know, whatever works for the news cycle, whatever gets some clicks. That is the most insane and stupid thing to say of, of, of all the talking points I've seen. I mean, we've never been at war with Russia either, right? It's, uh, you know, it's... The, the the Gulf nations they create they helped create the Palestinian uh, the, the PLO and they helped create Hamas and they've been fu- they were they were funding from 19 even before 1967 they were funding terrorism against Jewish civilians around the world to me that sounds like like a war of some sort you can call whatever you know whatever use whatever you word you like but more than that is a sea change in how people are going to deal with each other. If some countries in the Arab world have friendly relationships with Israel and Jewish people, that is going to that is going to probably spread when people do business together, they form relationships together, they form cultural cultural bonds together. I mean this is super, this is really important in that aspect and that's not obviously just written out in an agreement. It's just more about the spirit of where the world is headed rather than this ridiculous idea that, well, they weren't going to launch weapons at each other. No, they weren't, because no one launches weapons at Israel nearby anymore because it doesn't end well. David, I also want to talk to you about, I know you wrote a column about this recently. This should have gotten a lot more attention, in my view. Uh, first of all, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little annoyed at myself because, well, Matt has kind of predated my institution of this rule. But now I know that anyone that the media elevates from within the like nonpartisan ranks of government service. Anyone the media tells you is amazing is almost always an egomaniac. And at some level, there's there's a real problem, right? I mean, at some level, this is sort of a fraudulent narrative that we've been handed at some. I'm not saying entirely, but there's something off. There's something, you know, we were told that James Comey was like the greatest lawman in the history of the world. We were told that Robert Mueller was the ultimate FBI guy. We were told, but I, I remember this. And so it's not even always a strictly partisan thing. Petraeus was the most brilliant and, and, you know, fantastic strategic mind ever. Yeah, when he wasn't, you know, you know, whating with his uh, biographer under the desk in Afghanistan while people are fighting and dying for him. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And, and never mind also the classified information uh, leak that he engaged in. But Mattis was always treated like this warrior monk, almost like a saint of the Marine Corps. And I do hear from people in the military say that they really liked him. But uh, there were some warning signs about him maybe getting a little too big for his britches, so to speak, uh, thinking that his mandate extended beyond and that he would say, and this is written about in the Wilbur book and no one denies this, 
that they may need to take collective action against the sitting president. That should set off a lot more alarm bells from uh, from people than I think we've seen so far. Yeah, but, you know, because it's against Trump and it's resistance porn, it's fine and no one's going to say anything. But that little snippet in the book, it's a it's a chapter there that, you know, the whole book uh, frames Mattis as some kind of great hero who's constantly concerned about, you know, what's going to happen to America and et cetera. You know, they like are always putting like he goes to the National Cathedral to pray for America. There's a whole scene of that, you know, uh, <laughs> As you know, in Washington, that's a huge tourist spot, not a place you slip away to pray for the country. But what, anyways, aside from that, yeah, collective action with the sit, you know, with high level member, you know, high ranking members of the administration. And then why? Because he didn't like decisions that Donald Trump was making, re Syria, probably mostly Syria, Russia, et cetera. So that's not up to him. He's a general, and we in this country, the, the military answers to civilians. Donald Trump was very clear that he wanted to get out of Syria. He mentions it numerous times during the 2016 campaign. So why, uh, first of all, was Mattis so surprised that that was happening, A? And B, even if he was surprised, he should have left the administration, which he did, and then taken it to the media, not uh, plotted or, or whatever word you want to use behind the scenes. Now, I don't know if anything came of those conversations, but it's not a heroic thing to say you're going to take collective action to undermine an elect, duly elected president who we, we still not don't know of a single vote that was changed by the Russians or anyone else to make him president. He was voted in by the American people. And I don't like everything he does either. But the idea that uh, generals should be deciding where we go and where we don't go, I think, as you mentioned before, is a good indication that deep state, even though they try to sort of embarrass you when you use that word, but because it sounds conspiratorial, but it actually does exist. I, you know, to some extent, there are people in the administration in the executive branch who plotted against the president that they're supposed to serve. And that's not normal. And that's probably never hasn't happened in a very long time in this to this extent. And I I'd also note that not, not only were they trying to manufacture in the case of Russia collusion, the Mueller probe crimes, the president committed that he didn't. They also seem to think that there is some special exception to service in the executive branch where you can override the president who's doing something completely. Everyone agrees legal or, or you know, within the bounds of his authority for him to do. But you just don't like it. You know better. The you know betterism within the national security apparatus is stunning. And as somebody who worked in that apparatus and knows that it is full of morons, by the way, not everybody, but a lot of them morons all over the place. Uh, that's very unsettling, actually, that that notion that this is so widespread, whether it's Lieutenant Colonel Vinman or call me Lieutenant Colonel, sir. Right. That guy or it's Mattis or it's, you know, just go down the list of these people, all these different FBI and DOJ figures. You know, what was this? Uh, Rosen Rosenstein with the 25th Amendment based on what? It's like there's there's a permanent bureaucracy in place that runs the country almost it seems and 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 and, and now because it's Donald Trump as president you know they are given sort of we have to treat them with this reverence that I've never seen Democrats treat uh, soldiers with before or or even civil servants civil servants are just working it's just a job they're supposed to do a good job and they're supposed to listen to their boss like everyone else does and if they don't like it they should quit and then make their case to the American people but they they don't do that. They leak things to reporters who, of course, have show either no skepticism or a part of this and undermine uh, 
the presidency, delegitimize elections. It's a really dangerous thing to be doing just because they don't like what Donald Trump is up to in foreign policy, which incidentally, I want to say I was very skeptical of before he became president. But I just don't see how anyone, any clear minded person can say that this four years in foreign policy hasn't been better than wasn't better than the eight years that preceded it, even though Germans and French and Swiss don't like us or whatever, or don't like him. I don't really care. I think that the world he has not gotten us involved in a new conflict. He's the first president maybe since Jimmy Carter. And things are, I think the American American foreign policy was handled better than it was before. But that's up, up to voters, not up to Mattis or any other general. David Arsani, everybody, nationalview.com for his latest. David, stay safe, stay free down there in D.C., man. Good to talk to you. You too. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I almost forgot one of my favorite things that Bar Bar has been in Fuego this week. One of my favorite things that he did was mention that he thinks that they should consider that federal prosecutors should consider it is on the books. It is a law and it is good law. It is applicable still charging people who were plotting to destroy federal buildings with sedition. Oh, wait a second. Here's a Democrat senator who's, of course, very upset about this. Merkley, play eight. I'm astounded. If people are engaged in property damage and I condemn violence on on all fronts, they should be charged with property damage. But what I read into Attorney General Barr's comments is he wants people who are protesting in opposition to the administration to be charged with sedition. I don't know that it's that that clearly laid out, but that was the impression I took from it. This is a part of uh, imperial presidency, an authoritarian approach where you undermine the legitimacy of the press. Uh, you absolutely make disagreeing with the administration a, a crime. Charge them with sedition. Uh, it's um, I think the, the attorney generals or the, uh, the various prosecutors who weighed in and, and shared that news, uh, they are professionals who were just astounded uh, that uh, our top law enforcement person would would propose really what is politicizing um, protest. It's not protest, moron. We're talking about people who were destroying things. That's not protest. Lighting buildings on fire, attacking police, breaking glass windows. That's not protest. That's rioting. And if it's an organized riot activity and it goes after a federal building and is meant to undermine the federal government, it would fall under statutes covering sedition, the attempt to overthrow in part or in whole the federal government. Ah, sedition. The Democrats are guilty of sedition. That's real. That's truth. Not all of them, the ones who are doing this stuff, the ones who are engaged in this uh, attempt to burn down. A, they're trying to burn out a federal courthouse in Portland. I mean, that was a night after night activity and saying that they want to topple the state. I think that counts. I think that uh, that raises to the level. You know, there are a couple of hundred people who are in federal custody right now and they're facing some really serious federal charges, as they should. It's not all fun and games anymore, is it, lib rioters? It's not 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 all just one big, uh, big ha ha. Look at us. We're going to throw bags of urine at the police. Ha ha. Yeah. You might end up spending three, four, five years in federal prison. That, that'll really put a uh, 
put a damper on your riot fun activities. Uh, this this is this is great. I, I think this is fantastic. Oh, authoritarian regime, please. These people are doing criminal acts. Very no one's no one's talking about legal protest. There hasn't been a single protester who's been harassed in the least who's not breaking the law by federal prosecutors. They're not going after them. They're not they're not making problems for them. No one cares. Protest all day. Go for it. Right. This is about people who are engaged in criminal acts in violation of the law and holding them accountable. And that needs to happen. And because it's going to, unfortunately, for the libs mean that some of their favorite little little paramilitary street soldier types uh, are going to end up maybe spending a long time in a federal pen. Too bad, libs. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big Ten football is back. Producer Mark, what's uh, what's going on here? You probably know more about this one than I do. I believe they just decided they're coming back to play after originally uh, what, around August deciding they would not play a football season in the fall. I think they tried to say they would play it in the spring. I believe the idea is now to get it going around uh, Halloween, maybe a little bit before that. And the president's taking some credit for this one. I guess he was encouraging them, and now we're hearing that he's going to push it even beyond the Big Ten. Is the Big Ten the is that the best? No, the SEC, you told me this. I remember this. Now. Yes. I listen. The SEC is the best football conference. Yes, it is. But uh, the Big Ten is one of the better ones as well. It's one of the big five football conferences and was one of the two that was not going to play this season. Them and the Pac-12 had decided to not play. Who is your – do you watch college football? I mean, as a New Yorker, no, because there's not really a good team right. around here. That's what I was, was going to say. I mean, how good is Rutgers? Uh, they're not very good. They're in the Big Ten. They joined the Big Ten. That was like their big move to try and advance their athletics, but they're just awful. So do they get their butts kicked by the other Big Ten teams pretty much oh, all yeah. the time? I mean, they've mm. won a couple games here and there, but they're not very good. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the NY- the NYU football team would, uh, <laughs> would not. Would not I, I don't think they actually have a football team. I don't, think, I don't even think I they have one. I, think Col- I know Columbia does. I don't think NYU does. Yeah, Columbia does. does. I don't think NYU does. I know there's some other schools that have gotten rid of their their football teams. That's I grew yeah, up. Yeah, my New York alma City. mater did. Yeah, I grew up in New York City, so you know football is not a big sport here to play. A lot of people watch it, but it's not a sport that a lot of people. If you live in the five boroughs, there's not a lot of football leagues. Believe yeah, it or not, there people are diehard for the Jets or the soccer. Giants, but there's no yeah. college football. And yes, yeah, there's no college on football. Island. And then because there's no college football, you just have less of a. You know, you have less of a draw for it. Yeah, it's lacrosse is huge in Long Island and New Jersey. I know that, and it's it's big in the South too. Um, I don't. I feel like there are a lot of places out west where they don't really play much lacrosse, but they're too busy skiing or something. Anyway, Big Ten is back, everybody. So if you like college sports, which hey, I'll I'll give I'll give college football a watch. They're not. I don't see them kneeling. So there's that. I don't see them doing any of that nonsense. Just out of curiosity, do you think they're not going to kneel? That's a good. I don't think the college sports will be kneeling do you? i don't know i have no idea i really it's just a general question to put out there for the audience because i i don't know if the schools are going to let them i don't know what the athletes are going to do i guess we'll see um none of the big schools have really played yet uh yeah i i don't know i don't know that's it i hadn't even i had i was unaware of that i haven't even thought of that way i, I think it's a, a interesting point all right let's get to uh oh wait before i get to this you know i finished season one of cobra kai 
Just saying, producer Mark. Going on season two right now. Where are you, buddy? I have not started yet. There's a lot of sports on. That's true. All right, roll call. Hit it. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for roll call. Roll call, everybody. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to email us, we love that one. Uh, please send us the emails. And if you're not already, follow me on Instagram. Posted a Tallulah photo this morning, so you get that going on. Um, yeah. So please uh, do, do. Oh, and make sure you pass the buck. Get someone to listen to our podcast. We... Uh, very much appreciate that. So, what about our new podcast, Buck? Oh, producer Mark, what is what we're calling it? The best of Buck Daily, correct? That is correct, guys. Just so you all know, I think this is important. Thank you, producer Mark, for the reminder. You can now listen to a best of daily show. Now, that is the show from the day, just condensed down. We thought it'd be fun for folks. Uh, if you want to listen to the whole show, you always have that option. Same feed, you don't have to change it and subscribe to anything different. But if you're like, look, I've only got 35, 40 minutes to listen today, you can listen to Best of Buck Daily because we, we pick from a couple of the hours so that you get more topics in a shorter period of time. And it feels a little bit more like a complete but condensed show. So you can listen to Best of Buck Daily. Same show, just a shorter version of it because we felt like people might appreciate uh, that, that format, that, that little style change. But if you want to listen to the full show every day, you can certainly do that, too, on demand. Uh, the iHeart app, Spotify's fantastic way to listen, and uh, also Apple Podcasts. So that would be what I would ask you to check out. All right. Thank you for the reminder, producer Mark. Josh. Howdy, Buck. I grew up watching Hakeem Olajuwon school Patrick Ewing with the Dream Shake. I love watching the Houston Oilers and Texans, no matter how bad their teams were. The return of football was magical. The NBA playoffs were thrilling. I have not watched any NBA or NFL games since they returned. The stench of hypocrisy is too much to endure. I cannot watch. Also, Das Boot is definitely the most realistic submarine movie. I concur with previous fans, but Crimson Tide is my favorite because Gene Hackman is the best. I thank you and producer Mark for providing fresh air in the Freedom Hut with all the communist stench out there. Shields high from KLBJ Austin. Well, Josh, you know, my one of my brothers is actually currently uh, in the process of moving to Austin. I'm very tight with my family, my brothers, my sister, my parents. And so uh, once he's down there, I'm I am absolutely 100 percent making it down to Austin to visit him. And so I, I don't know what we'll do, but for KLBJ folks, we might we might just put put up the bat signal. Maybe we'll tell the station to let people know we'll be at a barbecue joint one night and people want to come hang out. We can all have a drink and you know, catch up or something. So that's because I've been wanting to get down to Austin and, and see all the KLBJ folks for a, a long time now. So that's that's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, so, yeah, there we go. Um, and as for, oh, but as for Elijah on schooling Patrick Ewing, I'll never forget when it was the Rockets and the Knicks in the finals. And, yeah, Elijah was just a better player. So Ewing has a bigger name, I think, in people's minds. He just people know Patrick Ewing more. It's only because he played Olajuwon in New York. at his peak. 
was a better center than Patrick Ewing was. Just it just was. Yeah. Anyway. I agree. I agree with you, except I think the reason Ewing's more well known is because Georgetown number one and because he played in, for the Knicks. Played in yeah. New York. No, I think I think that's true. But but Hakeem Olajuwon was was a better center. And in his in his heyday, because I'm trying to think if he was when he was at his peak, I don't think Shaq was really I think Shaq might have been in his Orlando magic phase. He wasn't yet in the Lakers dominance phase. Uh, but there was a time when Hakeem Olajuwon, I think, was the best center in the NBA. So, I mean, that guy, he just had way more, uh, way more of an offensive arsenal compared to Ewing. I mean, look, Patrick Ewing was seven feet tall at a time when there weren't a lot of seven-footers in the league. And his go-to move was a fadeaway jump shot, which is the lowest percentage shot in the NBA. <laughs> so you're the tallest guy on the floor. And you want to go for the lowest percentage shot. Hakeem was big into the drop step. Hakeem had a lot of moves around the rim to get to the rim. Whereas Patrick was always like, give it to me on the elbow of the paint and let me do a two-step drop fadeaway and see what happens. And that's why people like me, who grew up as super fans of the Knicks, believe it or not, uh, just never got our champ- never got our championship. Never got one. You never Do you have a team the... that you love that sucks? Yeah, the New York Mets. Come on. Duh. I thought I was trying we to talk about it once it a week. Because the Rangers were like a dynasty for a while. The Rangers. No, the Rangers didn't win a Stanley Cup for 54 years between 1940 and 1994. Yeah, but did, when they had Mark Messier and stuff. Yeah, they won they one championship. Oh, one. Okay. I thought they won yeah. for a few years. All right. All right, all right. I was wrong about that one. I was wrong about that one. But yeah, yeah. The Basically, Mets. Every, gonna be, every team. The Mets I, are going to uh, be really good now. You're going to be coming on the show and be like, Steve Cohen is a genius. I love him. He's changed the game. Also, the food at the for the food at the stadium. I actually think the food there is pretty good from what I'm told already. Oh, City but Field sure has now, the best food in baseball. Yeah, oh. you're you're going to be you're going to be at like the caviar station watching a dream team play thanks to Steve Cohen. I hope so. Yeah, it makes me Do you very like happy. Caviar? I don't. What even is it? Fish eggs. No, I don't like caviar. We're gonna make producer Mark try it sometime. Maybe we'll make a little video. Rich writes, "I love watching you with Tucker, and now just found your podcast. Succinct, quick pace, and so very insightful. Thanks for all you do, well, Rich. That's great. We love to hear about people who get discovery of the Buck Sexton show. As I've said to you, you know, I don't have, I don't have, uh, you know, millions of dollars of uh, investor money that I spend on Facebook and all these things. Uh, the, the way this show grows is people listen to it and are like, oh, this is better than the other podcasts out there on politics. And people who listen to it and like it tell people. That's it. We grow by, we grow by word of mouth. That is our primary mechanism or word of text or email, I guess. But you telling people. So when I say pass the buck, the future of the show is in your hands. Those of you listening and, and who appreciate what I do. Costs you nothing, helps us a lot, and I can't thank you enough for those of you who do it. You know, get a family member, get a friend, tell them, like, hey, if you listen, especially with this election cycle, if someone really wants to know what the primary issues are, they should be listening to this show. I'm not going to be shy about saying that. They should listen to this show. Brad. Hey, Buck and producer Mark. This idea of Joe Rogan hosting a debate between President Trump and Sleepy Joe is excellent. Trump should get together with Joe Rogan and set a date. It's up to Biden to show up. If Biden doesn't show, they can do an interview and spread reason to all of Joe Rogan's fan base. Also, the debate needs to be in person. Sleepy Joe can be in his own plexiglass aquarium on stage, but no Zoom calls where his team can feed him teleprompted answers. Keep up the good work. As always, shields high. Uh, Brad, uh, that was funny. Thank you. Um, 
I think Joe Rogan would be great. I've said that before. I think it would be much more interesting to have a uh, non-traditional interviewer and broadcaster handling one of these. Look, you can still have the usual talking points contest debate with, you know, fake Tapper or one of those one of those uh, jerks uh, pretending to be even handed in all this. But I, I really do believe that it would be a more interesting watch, a more illuminating experience for the people who decide to. But, you know, it, the, the, the problem with it is that the main the media, the legacy media companies will see that and say, Whoa, hold on a second. You know, how long for this world are we? They need those built in advantages, right? If CNN doesn't get to moderate a presidential debate, if it all of a sudden turns into who has the biggest audience, why is anyone watching CNN, right? They need these built in advantages. And so they will not part with them easily. And there's a lot of pressure that that, that is brought to bear on behalf of NBC and CNN and these different by the companies that are above them, that own them, that run them. Right. So keep that in mind, too. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call here. JJ writes, hey, Buck, just a quick comment about how the commies have taken over absolutely all industries. I follow several authors here on Instagram, and a couple of them shared a breaking news story that the country's largest printing presses are really backlogged thanks to COVID-19. Because of this, nearly all of the books slated for release during late fall and early winter have been pushed back three to six months. And yet we're all supposed to believe it's pure coincidence that dozens of anti-Trump books are somehow all making their way onto bookshelves with six weeks left until the election. I also noticed that my local Target now has its own dedicated anti-racism end cap in the book section, it would make me laugh if it weren't also truly despicable. Thanks, guys, for all you do. Keeping us safe and warm at night. That's how we roll. We keep Team Buck safe and warm at night with the Freedom Hut. And uh, JJ, yeah, I'm, I'm look, the public, the major publishers are as lib dominated as Netflix and uh, you know the news media and all the rest of it. So. The, the, the libs run publishing, the libs run media, the libs are in charge of all that stuff, unfortunately. And so it, it wouldn't be the least bit. In fact, I would go so far as to say it would be surprising if we found out that that wasn't happening. Right? If, if they weren't stacking the deck in favor of Biden with the books that are getting published, I'd say, wow, really? That's crazy. I, I would just expect it. All righty. Diane writes, Buck, I have two questions. I'm hoping you can answer them. First, what is the drop dead date for Dems to potentially replace Biden? And second, while I believe there's no precedent, could Harris debate Trump? We're definitely at a time where we all need to keep our shields high. Thanks for all you do. Diane, um, I mean, I don't really know the technicality of I just know that I don't think they they couldn't get him on the ballot now. Or they couldn't get someone to replace Biden on the ballot. So, no, they're not going to replace Biden at this stage. You can you can put that one out. I, I appreciate your thinking outside the box, but I don't think that's going to happen. And as for Harris debating Trump, that wouldn't happen either because uh, Har- that, that would be effectively an admission that Biden, everything that we're saying about Biden being too old and you know not of sound mind is true. And that would hurt him so that they can't do that either. But. You are right in thinking that 
what has been normal in the past is not necessarily what's going to be in the future. So do keep your keep your eyes open for things that one would assume are untenable, impossible, would never happen. And then all of a sudden they happen because we're living in this crazy time where Democrats have no accountability. Douglas uh, Buck. We have to stop talking about the popular vote for the presidency. There is no such thing as the popular vote for president. Hillary did not win the popular vote. A national popular vote is not an alternative way to elect the president. There are not two types of votes that determine the presidency. Like it or not, understand it or not, only the popular votes in each state and then the electoral college determine the election. We must stop referring to to the popular vote as if it were some legitimate legal alternate way of determining who should be president. It is misleading the American people and leading to division and chaos. Oh, look, Douglas, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I think the popular vote people bring it up. I always tell you it's very it's it's exactly my analogy. You know, if I'm playing somebody in tennis and I say, oh, it's been two hours. I'm ahead. I win. And they say, no, it's it's best three out of five sets. Uh yeah, it doesn't matter that I'm ahead two hours in the, the U.S. Open match on Sunday went, I think, over four hours. So to, to declare yourself the winner after two hours, no, it doesn't work. If you're playing basketball and, you know, the score is 82 to 80 after the fourth quarter, you don't get to say, no, the game's to 100 if you've played the four quarters. Right. It's exactly the same concept with the Electoral College. You're running the race. You're running. You're not running a race for something else. So you're, you're completely correct in that. I agree with you. We shouldn't get drawn into that team. Tomorrow's Friday. Wow. This week has flown by. Please uh, pass the buck. Check us out at bucksexton.com. Make sure you're following me on Instagram, posting more and more there every day. Buck Sexton. Until next time, team, you have your orders. Sit back, relax, come out to the coast, have a few laughs. Shields high.